Chapter Four, Part One of How I Found Livingstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tim McKenzie. How I Found Livingstone. Travels, Adventures, and Discoveries in Central Africa, including four months' residence with Dr. Livingston, by Sir Henry M. Stanley. Chapter 4, Part 1. Life at Bagamoyo. The Isle of Zanzibar, with its groves of coconut, mango, clove, and cinnamon, and its sentinel islets of chumbi and French, with its whitewashed city and jackfruit odour, with its harbour and ships that tread the deep, faded slowly from view, and looking westward, the African continent rose, a similar bank of green verdure to that which had just receded till it was a mere sinuous line above the horizon, looming in a northerly direction to the sublimity of a mountain chain. The distance across from Zanzibar to Bagamoyo may be about twenty-five miles, yet it took the dull and lazy dows ten hours before they dropped anchor on the top of the coral reef plainly visible a few feet below the surface of the water, within a hundred yards of the beach. The newly enlisted soldiers, fond of noise and excitement, discharged repeated salvos by way of a salute to the mixed crowd of Arabs, Banyans, and Wasawahili, who stood on the beach to receive the Musungu, white man which they did with a general stare and a chorus of Yambo Bana, how are you, master? In our own land the meeting with a large crowd is rather a tedious operation, as our independent citizens insist on an interlacing of fingers and a vigorous shaking thereof before their pride is satisfied and the peaceful manifestation endorsed. But on this beach, well lined with spectators, a response of Yambo Bana, sufficed except with one who of all there was acknowledged the greatest and who claiming like all great men individual attention came forward to exchange another yambo on his own behalf and to shake hands this personage with a long trailing turban was jemadar esau commander of the zanzibar force of soldiers police or baluch gendarmes stationed at bagamoyo he had accompanied Speke and Grant a good distance into the interior, and they had rewarded him liberally. He took upon himself the responsibility of assisting in the debarkation of the expedition, and unworthy as was his appearance, disgraceful as he was in his filth, I here commend him for his influence over the rabble to all future East African travellers. Foremost among those who welcomed us was a father of the Society of Saint-Esprit, who, with other Jesuits, under Father Superior Horner, have established a missionary post of considerable influence and merit at Bagamoyo. We were invited to partake of the hospitality of the mission, to take our meals there, and, should we desire it, to pitch our camp on their grounds. But however strong the geniality of the welcome and sincere the heartiness of the invitation, I am one of those who prefer independence to dependence, if it is possible. Besides, my sense of the obligation between host and guest had just had a fine edge put upon it by the delicate forbearance of my kind host at Zanzibar, 
who had betrayed no sign of impatience at the trouble I was only too conscious of having caused him. I therefore informed the hospitable padre that only for one night could I suffer myself to be enticed from my camp. I selected a house near the western outskirts of the town, where there is a large open square through which the road from Unyayembe enters. Had I been at Bagamoyo a month, I could not have bettered my location. My tents were pitched fronting the tembe, house, I had chosen, enclosing a small square where business could be transacted, bales looked over, examined and marked, free from the intrusion of curious sightseers. After driving the twenty-seven animals of the expedition into the enclosure in the rear of the house, storing the bales of goods, and placing a cordon of soldiers round, I proceeded to the Jesuit mission, to a late dinner, being tired and ravenous, leaving the newly formed camp in charge of the white men and Captain Bombay. The mission is distant from the town a good half-mile, to the north of it. It is quite a village of itself, numbering some fifteen or sixteen houses. There are more than ten padres engaged in the establishment, and as many sisters, and all find plenty of occupation in inducing from native crania the fire of intelligence. Truth compels me to state that they are very successful, having over two hundred pupils, boys and girls, in the mission, and, from the youngest to the oldest, they show the impress of the useful education they have received. The dinner furnished to the padres and their guests consisted of as many plates as a first-class hotel in Paris usually supplies, and cooked with nearly as much skill, though the surroundings were by no means equal. I feel assured also that the padres, besides being tasteful in their potages and entrees, do not stultify their ideas for lack of that element which Horace, Hafiz, and Byron have praised so much. The champagne, think of Champagne Clicquot in East Africa. Lafitte, La Rose, Burgundy, and Bordeaux were of first-rate quality, and the meek and lowly eyes of the fathers were not a little brightened under the vinous influence. Ah, those fathers understand life and appreciate its duration. Their festive board drives the African jungle fever from their doors, while it soothes the gloom and isolation which strike one with awe, as one emerges from the lighted room and plunges into the depths of the darkness of an African night, enlivened only by the wearying monotone of the frogs and crickets, and the distant ululation of the hyena. It requires somewhat above human effort, unaided by the ruby liquid that cheers, to be always suave and polite amid the dismalities of native life in Africa. After the evening meal, which replenished my failing strength, and for which I felt the intensest gratitude, the most advanced of the pupils came forward, to the number of twenty, with brass instruments, thus forming a full band of music. It rather astonished me to hear instrumental sounds issue forth in harmony from such woolly-headed youngsters, to hear well-known French music at this isolated port, to hear negro boys that a few months ago knew nothing beyond the traditions of their ignorant mothers stand forth and chant Parisian songs about French valour and glory, with all the sang-froid of gamin from the purlieu of Saint-Antoine.
I had a most refreshing night's rest, and at dawn I sought out my camp, with the will to enjoy the new life now commencing. On counting the animals, two donkeys were missing, and on taking notes of my African monies, one coil of number six wire was not to be found. Everybody had evidently fallen on the ground to sleep, oblivious of the fact that on the coast there are many dishonest prowlers at night. Soldiers were dispatched to search through the town and neighborhood, and Jemadar Esau was apprised of our loss, and stimulated to discover the animals by the promise of a reward. Before night, one of the missing donkeys was found outside the town nibbling at manioc leaves, but the other animal and the coil of wire were never found. Among my visitors this first day at Bagamoyo was Ali bin Salim, a brother of the famous Said bin Salim, formerly Ras Kafila, to Burton and Speak, and subsequently to Speak and Grant. His salams were very profuse, and moreover, his brother was to be my agent in Unyamwezi, so that I did not hesitate to accept his offer of assistance. But alas, for my white face and too trustful nature, this Ali bin Salim turned out to be a snake in the grass, and a very sore thorn in my side. I was invited to his comfortable house to partake of coffee. I went there. The coffee was good, though sugarless. His promises were many, but they proved valueless. He said to me, I am your friend. I wish to serve you. What can I do for you? Replied I, I am obliged to you. I need a good friend who, knowing the language and customs of the Wanyamwezi, can procure me the pagazis I need and send me off quickly. Your brother is acquainted with the Wasungu, white men, and knows that what they promise they make good. Get me a hundred and forty pagazis and I will pay you your price. With unctuous courtesy, the reptile I was now warmly nourishing, said, I do not want anything from you, my friend. For such a slight service, rest content and quiet. You shall not stop here fifteen days. Tomorrow morning I will come and overhaul your bales to see what is needed. I bade him good morning, elated with the happy thought that I was soon to tread the Unyayembe road. The reader must be made acquainted with two good and sufficient reasons why I was to devote all my energy to lead the expedition as quickly as possible from Bagamoyo. First, I wished to reach Ujiji before the news reached Livingston that I was in search of him, for my impression of him was that he was a man who would try to put as much distance as possible between us, rather than make an effort to shorten it, and I should have my long journey for nothing. Second, the Masika, or rainy season, would soon be on me, which, if it caught me at Bagamoyo, would prevent my departure until it was over, which meant a delay of forty days, and exaggerated as the rains were by all men with whom I came in contact, it rained every day for forty days without intermission. This, I knew, was a thing to dread, for I had my memory stored with all kinds of rainy unpleasantnesses. For instance, there was the rain of Virginia and its concomitant horrors, wetness, mildew, agues, rheumatics, and such like. Then there were the English rains, a miserable drizzle causing the blue devils. Then the rainy season of Abyssinia with the floodgates of the firmament opened, and an universal downpour of rain, 
enough to submerge half a continent in a few hours. Lastly, there was the pelting monsoon of India, a steady shut-in-house kind of rain. To which of these rains should I compare this dreadful Masika of East Africa? Did not Burton write much about black mud in Uzaramo? Well, a country whose surface soil is called black mud in fine weather, what can it be called when forty days rain beat on it, and feet of pagazis and donkeys made paste of it? These were natural reflections induced by the circumstances of the hour, and I found myself much exercised in mind in consequence. Ali bin Salim, true to his promise, visited my camp on the morrow with a very important air, and after looking at the pile of cloth bales, informed me that I must have them covered with mat-bags. He said he would send a man to have them measured, but he enjoined me not to make any bargain for the bags, as he would make it all right. While awaiting with commendable patience the hundred and forty pagazis promised by Ali bin Salim, we were all employed upon everything that thought could suggest needful for crossing the sickly maritime region, so that we might make the transit before the terrible fever could unnerve us and make us joyless. A short experience at Bagamoya showed us what we lacked, what was superfluous and what was necessary. We were visited one night by a squall, accompanied by furious rain. I had one thousand five hundred dollars worth of pagazi cloth in my tent. In the morning I looked, and lo, the drilling had let in rain like a sieve, and every yard of cloth was wet. It occupied two days afterwards to dry the cloths and fold them again. The drill tent was condemned, and a number five hemp canvas tent at onto prepared. After which I felt convinced that my cloth bales and one year's ammunition were safe, and that I could defy the Masika. In the hurry of departure from Zanzibar, and in my ignorance of how bales should be made, I had submitted to the better judgment and ripe experience of one Jetta, a commission merchant, to prepare my bales for carriage. Jetta did not weigh the bales as he made them up, but piled the Merikani, Kaniki, Barsati, Jamdani, Joho, Ismahili in alternate layers, and roped the same into bales. One or two pagazis came to my camp and began to chaffer. They wished to see the bales first, before they would make a final bargain. They tried to raise them up. Ugh! Ugh! It was of no use, and withdrew. A fine salter's spring balance was hung up, and a bale suspended to the hook. The finger indicated a hundred and five pounds, or three frasila, which was just thirty-five pounds or one frasila overweight. Upon putting all the bales to this test, I perceived that Jetta's guesswork, with all his experience, had caused considerable trouble to me. The soldiers were set to work to reopen and repack, which latter task is performed in the following manner. We cut a doti, or four yards of merikani, ordinarily sold at Zanzibar for two dollars and seventy-five cents the piece of thirty yards, and spread out. We take a piece or bolt of good Merikani, and instead of the double fold given it by the Nashua and Salem mills, we fold it into three parts, by which the folds have a breadth of a foot. 
This piece forms the first layer, and will weigh nine pounds. The second layer consists of six pieces of kaniki, a blue stuff similar to the blouse stuff of France, and the blue jeans of America, though much lighter. The third layer is formed of the second piece of merikani, the fourth of six more pieces of kaniki, the fifth of merikani, the sixth of kaniki as before, and the seventh and last of merikani. We have thus four pieces of merikani, which weigh thirty-six pounds, and eighteen pieces of kaniki, weighing also thirty-six pounds, making a total of seventy-two pounds, or a little more than two frasilas. The cloth is then folded singly over these layers, each corner tied to another. A bundle of coir rope is then brought, and two men, provided with a wooden mallet for beating and pressing the bale, proceed to tie it up with as much nicety as sailors serve down rigging. When complete, a bale is a solid mass three feet and a half long, a foot deep and a foot wide. Of these bales I had to convey eighty-two to Unyayembe, forty of which consisted solely of the Merikani and Kaniki. The other forty-two contained the Merikani and coloured cloths, which latter were to serve as honga or tribute cloths, and to engage another set of pagazis from Unyayembe to Ujiji, and from Ujiji to the regions beyond. The fifteenth day asked of me by Ali bin Salim for the procuring of the pagazis passed by, and there was not the ghost of a pagazi in my camp. I sent Mabruki the bullhead to Ali bin Salim to convey my salams and express a hope that he had kept his word. In half an hour's time Mabruki returned with the reply of the Arab, that in a few days he would be able to collect them all. But, added Mabruki slyly, Bana, I don't believe him. He said aloud to himself in my hearing, Why should I get the Musungu pagazis? Said Burgash did not send a letter to me, but to the Jemadar. Why should I trouble myself about him? Let Said Burgash write me a letter to that purpose, and I will procure them within two days. To my mind this was a time for action. Ali bin Salim should see that it was ill trifling with a white man in earnest to start. I rode down to his house to ask him what he meant. His reply was, Mabruki had told a lie as black as his face. He had never said anything approaching to such a thing. He was willing to become my slave, to become a pagazi himself. But here I stopped the voluble Ali, and informed him that I could not think of employing him in the capacity of a pagazi, neither could I find it in my heart to trouble Said Burgash to write a direct letter to him, or to require of a man who had deceived me once, as Ali bin Salim had, any service of any nature whatsoever. It would be better, therefore, if Ali bin Salim would stay away from my camp, and not enter it either in person or by proxy. I had lost fifteen days for Jemadar Sadur at Kaole, and had never stirred from his fortified house in that village in my service, save to pay a visit, after the receipt of the Sultan's letter. Naranji, custom-house agent at Kaoye, solely under the thumb of the great Luda Damji, had not responded to Luda's worded request that he would procure pagazis, except with winks, nods, and promises, 
and it is but just stated how I fared at the hands of Ali bin Salim. In this extremity I remembered the promise made to me by the great merchant of Zanzibar, Tariya Topan, a Mohammedan Hindi, that he would furnish me with a letter to a young man named Sur Haji Palu, who was said to be the best man in Bagamoyo to procure a supply of pagazis. I dispatched my Arab interpreter by a dao to Zanzibar, with a very earnest request to Captain Webb that he would procure from Tarya Topan the introductory letter so long delayed. It was the last card in my hand. On the third day the Arab returned, bringing with him not only the letter to Sur Haji Palu, but an abundance of good things from the ever-hospitable house of Mr. Webb. In a very short time after the receipt of his letter, the eminent young man Sur Haji Palu came to visit me, and informed me that he had been requested by Tarya Topan to hire for me one hundred and forty pagazis to Unyayembe in the shortest time possible. This, he said, would be very expensive, for there were scores of Arabs and Wasawabili merchants on the lookout for every caravan that came in from the interior, and they paid twenty doti, or eighty yards of cloth, to each pagazi. Not willing or able to pay more, many of these merchants had been waiting as long as six months before they could get their quota. If you, continued he, desire to depart quickly, you must pay from twenty-five to forty doti, and I can send you off before one month has ended. In reply, I said, here are my cloths for pagazis to the amount of one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars, or three thousand five hundred doti, sufficient to give one hundred and forty men twenty-five doti each. The most I am willing to pay is twenty-five doti. Send one hundred and forty pagazis to Unyayembe with my cloth and wire, and I will make your heart glad with the richest present you have ever received. With a refreshing naivete, the young man said he did not want any present, but he would get me my quota of pagazis, and then I could tell the Wasungu what a good young man he was, and consequently the benefit he would receive would be an increase of business. He closed his reply with the astounding remark that he had ten pagazis at his house already, and if I would be good enough to have four bales of cloth, two bags of beads, and twenty coils of wire carried to his house, the pagazis could leave Bagamoyo the next day, under charge of three soldiers. For, he remarked, it is much better and cheaper to send many small caravans than one large one. Large caravans invite attack, or are delayed by avaricious chiefs upon the most trivial pretexts, while small ones pass by without notice. The bales and the beads were duly carried to Sur Haji Palu's house, and the day passed with me in mentally congratulating myself upon my good fortune, in complimenting the young Hindi's talents for business, the greatness and influence of Tarya Topan, and the goodness of Mr. Webb in thus hastening my departure from Bagamoyo. I mentally vowed a handsome present, and a great puff in my book to Sur Haji Palu, and it was with a glad heart that I prepared these soldiers for their march to Unyayembe. The task of preparing the first caravan for the Unyayembe road informed me upon several things that have escaped the notice of my predecessors in East Africa. 
a timely knowledge of which would have been of infinite service to me at Zanzibar, in the purchase and selection of sufficient and proper cloth. End of chapter 4, part 1